Hey gamers, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now, and I have episode 203 of the podcast that was originally recorded on May 13th of 2018. I'd like to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, but a few of the things I played this past week, or the past couple of weeks, I guess I should say, roleplayer Monsters and Minions, a little game called Noria, I visited the Seventh Continent multiple times and have yet to really survive the curse that has um, fallen upon me. We've visited the Pursuit of Happiness community. Of course, I'll talk about a few of the things that I want to play. Enjoy the episode. Hey gamers, welcome to the games. This is Joe Luzzi from What I'm Playing Now and welcome to another episode of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. We are in episode 203 of the podcast. We have been quite busy with uh, the top 100. I've been quite busy doing a couple of interviews and I'm going to have a few more interviews scheduled here for the next coming episodes. But for this episode, I kind of wanted to revisit a few of the things that have been hitting the table here, both at, at our house here, as well as down at my friendly local game store. So let's jump into a few of the things that we've been playing now. One of the first things my wife and I have taken a run through a couple of times is Roleplayer Monster and Minions. And this is an expansion to the Roleplayer game. And I have to say, it actually does add quite a bit to the game. Um, Roleplayer is a dice manipulation style game. I've talked about it previously on the podcast. You're essentially in this game using dice and manipulating them to kind of like roll up a an RPG character, you could say. I don't want to say any names of any RPGs because it could be any random, you know, generic RPG. Um, you have your strength, constitution, dexterity, you know, those all types of stats that you're going to be filling in dice for. And you're going to be putting three dice in each row. And at the end of the game, normally uh, there's different attributes and Things that you're trying to meet up, you're trying to have different colored dice in different columns and different spots on the on your board and everything, and you're trying to have to have different stats within a different uh, predetermined set of numbers based on the character that you have and some of the cards that you drew at the beginning. But what Monsters and Minions adds to the game is during your turn, you can actually roll dice and fight some minions during the game, you know, like some smaller monsters. This will give you experience points. The experience points you can use to actually re-roll dice later on in the game when you're fighting more minions or when you're fighting the boss at the end of the game, which everybody at the table is going to have a chance to actually fight uh, to give you some additional experience points and some, some other things that, you know, you can do in the game. I will say I was very pleased with it. Uh, I we both really enjoyed role player. I had wanted my wife to play role player for a while and she was I don't really think she was really too into the whole theme of rolling up a character cuz she's never really done much role playing before in the sense of rolling up a character and you know playing a an RPG like that. You know, she's played plenty on the computers, you know, we played other types of dungeon crawler games, but she's never played a true pen and paper RPG, you know, where you're rolling up a character like that. So uh, once she did play it, she was actually very surprised at how much she actually did like it. And I will say that, you know, it kind of always felt with role player that, you know, once you were done with your character at the end of the game, you, you kind of wanted to see what you can actually do with them. You know, there really wasn't anything for you to do. You pretty much everybody counted up their victory points and then you had a winner. Uh, but you had this character sitting there in front of you that had a backstory that, you know, had a race, a class and all this other stuff. And and it just seemed like it was kind of just the game just stopped and was just one step short of, you know, 
doing something really cool with this character. And Monsters and Minions actually adds that really kind of cool part to it. You know, the dice manipulation in role player is probably one of my favorite. If I was ever to suggest a dice manipulation style game, I'd probably suggest role player over several of the other ones that I've played. There's there's just something about being able to fight during the the game, throughout the game, and fight these smaller minion-type characters, or, you know, the monsters, you know, and then try to fight uh, this big boss at the end, and everybody's going to have a chance, you know, like I said, to to kind of attack that that final, that boss character. So everybody wants to try to make sure that they're going to be able to have enough dice, that they're going to be able to possibly defeat this thing to, you know, get some of those extra points that you might need to, to kind of give you the victory in this game. Uh, if you haven't seen the Monsters and Minions expansion, definitely look into it. If you haven't played Roleplayer, well, definitely look into the base game then. Because, like I said, it's probably one of my more favorite dice manipulation style games out there. And Monsters and Minions just rounds the game out nicely. Gives you a nice finishing endpoints for those characters when you're rolling them up. So, to us, it's definitely a hit. We're going to be doing a playthrough on our Twitch channel here shortly, which will then be up onto our YouTube channel here. So, don't forget to subscribe to us both on Twitch on our YouTube channel. I'll be mentioning those at the end of the podcast here. But at YouTube, I'll just throw it in now, is youtube.com slash what I'm playing now. Twitch is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. So don't forget to, forget to subscribe to both of those. And you'll actually see us doing a run, run through, a playthrough of this one. Like I said, we really enjoyed it. All right, for the next game that's been hitting our table, and this one actually has been hitting the table, I would say, I don't want to say quite a bit, but I played it, you know, more than my normal set of games. And it is Noria from Stronghold Games. Uh, Noria is, uh, I'm trying to think of how Stephen Bonacore described it. I think he said it's a wheel manipulation style game. And I have to say, this game for us, my wife and I, we enjoy it. For several other people, they enjoy it. For a couple other people, when I was playing it down at my friendly local game store, it seems like it's kind of hit or miss for people. This is a game that some people are really enjoying. Others are liking it, but they're just not falling completely in love with it. In Noria, what you're going to try to do is the ga- the goal of the game is victory points. It's It'll kind of remind you of maybe something like a, like a stock manipulation style game kind of like a stock market style game, you're going to have kind of workers that you're going to be working up through multiple different tracks on the board. And then you're also going to be trying to influence these politicians to give you a multiplier to the the score that you're going to be at, the road that you're going to be at um, in those different columns that's going to give you a multiplier to kind of multiply the score. There's going to be six different, there's four different tracks you're going to be moving up on the board, but then there's two additional kind of like off to the side tracks, I guess you could say, where you could have influence for your highest um, worker that you have on the track and then your lowest. You're going to score up the victory points from all six of those areas at the end of the game uh, for your total victory points. That is kind of at a high level how you're going to do your scoring. The biggest part of this game, though, is the wheel that is in front of each character, which is kind of like, I would say, maybe like an action selection style game. You're going to start off with tokens in this wheel, and there's three different levels to the wheel. And the wheels, the three different levels are going to be spinning around throughout the game. At the end of your turn, you're going to be able to spin each wheel um, a certain amount. You can also, at the beginning of your turn, manipulate the wheel in a couple of different ways. You can maybe spend some wisdom or knowledge to actually flip a couple of 
um, tokens on your wheel or maybe move a token from one area to the to the other. You can actually spin one of the two lower parts of the wheel. You can never spin the upper part of the wheel as um, a payment for knowledge. Uh, but you're also going to be purchasing different tokens uh, to go on this wheel. The wheel can produce resources. With those resources, you can move your workers up those different columns. You can do you can obtain factories in the game and also produce different types of resources in some of the farther right columns on the board. Uh, so there's there's quite a bit going on on this one. And like I said, the wheel is the biggest thing. And to me, I kind of like the wheel. I thought the wheel was a really neat mechanism in the game. I thought it was something completely different. It's it's unlike anything I've really kind of ever seen before. I kind of liked it. A couple people who've played it said it is a little fiddly. There's a lot of little kind of components going on in the game. Uh, there's, there's different actions. You, you can only take actions based on the lower part of the wheels. And then that is divided up into kind of like three main quadrants. You have kind of like a white, white, right quadrant, which will give you like, um, three actions over to the right side of the board. And then there's a mirror to the left. And then you have kind of like a center area where there's, um, some tokens and you'll pick either to do kind of like the, the right side of that center or the left side of the center with your discs there in the middle. Um, as far as the actions that you want to do, you can never do more than four actions on a turn. So some of your, um, tokens on this wheel can actually be upgraded, which would normally give you an extra action with one of those discs. You can also have one other disc that will give you like a bonus action. Uh, so, Depending on what you have flipped over and what you can do, you can do, like I said, a maximum of four actions per turn. So if you had, if you were activating three discs that were all flipped over to their upgraded side, you would first choose which one of those discs that you wanted to use the upgraded action on. The other two then would just be single actions discs that you would then perform. I'm not going to go through all the different actions and all the different discs that are available. We did a playthrough on this one that you could check out on our YouTube channel. Uh, so it it seems like the game has has a good following. It like I said, down at the game store, I've played it with um multiple player counts as well. Now I've played it quite a bit with two players, but I've also played it with four players. Four player game was a little bit longer, but it wasn't too too bad that it was like oh I'm you know poking my eyes out or anything. The four player game was a little bit trickier. Because one of the actions that you can do is like a politic action. And when you're doing this, that's when you're going to be moving these gray cubes down to actually give you that multiplier count, multiplier count on one of the columns. So when you move one of these gray cubes down to give you a higher multiplier in a column that you want to score in, you also have to remove a gray cube from one of the other columns. So depending on where your opponents are moving up and what columns they're actually working on, you could possibly either screw them over and take away cubes from them, but then in return, they are going to do that to you. So that's a choice you have to make. Do you start screwing over your neighbors early in the game to prevent them from possibly scoring too high of a multiplier and getting too many points in one column? Do you start taking away from maybe one of the other areas on the board that really nobody is concentrating on yet and maybe you know, just ignore that then later on in the game? There's a lot of decisions that you can make in this game. Uh, and I and I will say, every time I play it, it's I try to do a different strategy. And I will say, as of right now, for all the times I've played it, I can't say 
X is the best strategy. Y is the best strategy. It it kind of really all depends on what everybody else at the table is doing. Uh, there's there's just quite a quite a few choices going on. Trying to just stick with one thing and not being being flexible could definitely I think hurt you in the long run. Because if people are taking away your multipliers on one of your columns where you're really trying to get that worker up there in that market, uh, it, it could really hinder your points later on because those multipliers on some of the more right columns of the board could get up to be like an 8, 10, 12 times multiplier. The columns to the left are a little easier to get because the resources are easier to obtain. They're resources that you can actually just obtain from from one of your disks. They're not... It's not a type of resource you actually have to produce during the game like some of the other columns are requiring you to do. Quite a few different things going on in the game, like I said, but I will say I really like Noria. Um, I think it's kind of like maybe a little sleeper bit of sleeper hit, but like I said, it seems to be hit or miss for a lot of different people. There's some people who really enjoy it and really like it, and then there's other people who have played it and said it's a good game, but it's just not a game for them. So it's something I think that works at, from what I can tell, at all player accounts. I haven't played three as of right now. There's also supposedly some solo rules that are out on, uh, I believe, Board Game Geek, or maybe I think it's out on the Noria website, actually, that I've actually downloaded because there are some discs that come with the game that they really don't talk about in the game. And then when you finally go out to their website and you're like, what the hell are these things? Um, you see, oh, they're for a solo game. But they don't mention that anywhere from what I could tell within the rule book, which I think is actually kind of funny. But uh, that's here or there. That's nothing, you know, to do with actually how good the game is. But Noria, if you haven't tried it, this is a game I would definitely say. I know I say get try to get games to the table before trying them. I think this is definitely a game you want to try to get to the table before purchasing because you really want to see if you're going to if this one really sits into your wheelhouse and it's really something you're going to enjoy playing. That is Noria from Stronghold Games. It's a game that I really enjoy. Hopefully you do too. So after that, I've been playing through um, a few solo games. Uh, I've done a couple of videos and one of the last videos wasn't really that successful because I had some audio issues, um, but I may do another one this week. I had finally gotten in my Kickstarter copy of The Seventh Continent from Serious Pulp Games. Uh, and I will say I was I was very excited when the second Kickstarter started coming around. There was so much hype around this game. There was a lot of buzz about it on some of the different Facebook groups. Um, there, was, there were a lot of people talking about it down at the friendly local game store. Um, I really hadn't seen anybody play it down there. And I was trying to avoid any videos on it, any spoilers or anything. I did watch through the initial tutorial that Sirius Pulp had done just to try to help me learn the game a little bit. Cause when I, when I went in, I really didn't want to make too, too many mistakes on my first playthrough because I was trying to get ready to do a video for it. So I was trying to accelerate my learning. So I went and watched their video and you know, there might've been a few spoilers uh, for that very first uh, curse that I did, but nothing too, too game breaking, I would say. And, and I made sure that in all of my videos um, when I post them for seventh continent, and even when I do my stream, I say there's going to be spoilers here and I'm not going to try to avoid them. I'm doing playthroughs. If you're, interested in watching a playthrough definitely watch me play through the seventh continent um and i'm i will say i'm really enjoying this game so far uh it has definitely lived up to the hype i actually have just recently sleeved all of my cards i was very hesitant about purchasing the sleeves from the kickstarter because that was like an extra i think hundred dollars added onto the kickstarter so I really didn't want to spend that after going pretty much all full in for the actual kickstarter um second edition with the expansions and everything 
But after I start playing the game um, twice, I was like, okay, I need to get some sleeves on these. And on May 1st, May Day just happened to have a May Day sale on sleeves. They were doing sleeves for 30% off. I said, what the hell? Let's jump on this and order 40 packs of 80 by 80 sleeves. I'm normally a little hesitant about using Mayday sleeves. I've talked about this before. I've used their sleeves in the past. And sometimes there is some inconsistency in their sleeves. So far, I've probably sleeved about a thousand cards and I probably have about 50 to maybe 75 sleeves where the cards were snug. Um, some I removed, some I kind of left on. There was nothing that was doing any bending or bowing of the cards. There were there were some sleeves where the cards slid right in perfectly. It was perfect fit. There were others where you could almost just tell, you know, it's almost like almost like a bell curve. There were some that were perfect. There were others that were just a little too snug. It's I'm gonna maybe send them a message once I'm kind of done sleeving this first half and say, hey. Um, can I maybe be sent another pack of sleeves just because I really don't want to use some of these super tight sleeves on these cards because I really don't want them bowing or anything. Um, so we'll have to see what they say about there. That um, they seem to be, um, from what I can tell, very customer centric. So I have a feeling hopefully they will be um, able to help me out with that one. But uh, game wise, the game is pretty interesting. Um, the second printing did seem to have some print issues from what I can tell from reading the, the Kickstarter comment section. Uh, it seemed that some of the cards were not cut correctly. Some people were getting some cards that definitely were not fitting in the sleeves that they were given. Some of the cards actually have the blue background on them is actually different shades of blue. Now, some people were saying it was um, some of the curse cards, I think. Mine are various cards. It doesn't seem like there's any consistency as far as which cards have a little bit darker of a blue on them and which don't. I have all mine sleeved. I'm trying not really to pay too much attention to the differing colors of blues in them. Um, I don't think it's game-breaking right now. It seems that they are going to be offering a fix to people, um, which I will definitely be doing because I have a feeling after playing this game as many times as I think I will be, that may start to affect the game in the long run once I, I start playing it on a much more frequent basis. But The Seventh Continent, if you haven't heard much about it, it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure style game. You're going to start off, it's it's all card-based, there are dice in the game, but the dice are just used to actually mark how much usage you have on a particular item. So you can craft different items in the game. Let's say I can craft a, a shovel, I can craft a, a spear. It has so many uses to it before it basically kind of breaks, I guess you could say. The dice let you know how much you have used it. Each item starts off with an initial usage number, how many times it can be used. So let's say the shovel can be used three times. So I would put a six-sided die with a number three on there. Every time I use it, I would roll, rotate that down one number. So the three to two, the two to one, one, it's no longer usable. That card would then go into the discard pile. Um, that is kind of how items are taken care of. During the game, you're going to have to make a lot of different decisions. There is a kind of like a cheat sheet that they give you, kind of like a player board, I guess you could say, that has a lot of different actions on there. There's going to be little action icons all over the different cards. And on your turn, what you're going to do, I'm playing solo, so I basically just kind of figure out what action do I want to take right now? Do I want to flip over maybe the one cards that is like a Fog of War card that's kind of like, okay, there's something there. I don't know what it is yet. I flip it over. It could be an item. It could be something for me to interact with. Um, once I've actually done that action and experienced that card, I will then flip over the actual real card, which could be a 
a section of the continent itself. And you're just exploring the continent. And the object is you've gotten back from exploring the seventh continent and you, you have been cursed and you're trying to go back to the seventh continent and you're trying to lift that curse. You're trying to figure out what has cursed you and see if you can actually unravel the mystery of the curse. Uh, there's multiple curses in the game. I am still on the first curse. I've played it a couple of times. The first time I played it, I, I pretty much died pretty quickly. The second time I actually explored a large section of what I thought to be the continent. I thought I was getting somewhere. I thought I was close to finishing, but lo and behold, I think I just was getting well ahead of myself and didn't realize that, the area of the continent I was exploring was probably probably for naught because in looking at the one um, curse card that has a map on there, I think I was only on the second of maybe four or five sections that I need to visit. But I explored that first section quite well, I will say. I actually know that land. And the one thing I probably should have done in that game was actually use my cartographer's notebook a little bit to actually take note on what's where. And that's something that I haven't been doing. And I think um, I'm going to be doing that maybe in my next couple of games is actually using that to to start documenting my adventures, to start documenting my exploration of of this continent. So I know where things are um, from memory. I can kind of remember, okay, this is here. This is there, but I don't remember exactly what is in certain, a couple of the places, especially after that, that uh, second playthrough where I had explored so much when I had played it again, the third time I remembered quite a bit, but um, I kind of ran out of time because I didn't want my stream to go too, too late into the evening. So I kind of stopped um, and basically save the game, but I'm, I have a feeling when I restart playing again, I'm just going to kind of like scratch that skate save game and just restart over from the beginning of the curse once again, um, for probably a third, four, third or fourth playthrough. But Seventh Continent, I will say, definitely worth the money. It's a game that's not going to be coming to retail. It appears it was Kickstarter only if you did not Kickstart it. I don't know if they're going to be doing another Kickstarter. I haven't heard anything about that, them doing a third one yet. The second one was very huge. The second half of this Kickstarter isn't supposed to be delivered, which are the expansions, isn't supposed to be delivered until October. So I don't know if maybe they'll start maybe another Kickstarter, maybe shortly before that for people who have missed it. Um, we'll have to wait and see on this one. But uh, if you like choose your own adventure style games, if you like playing solo, this game is definitely something to look at. I have a lot of different people in my play group down at my friendly local game store that do want to try this. So I, I need to try this with multiple people. Um, my wife really isn't interested in trying this one out. I really haven't even been able to persuade her into giving this one a shot yet. Uh, so I am probably going to have to take this down to my game, local game store, teach it to a couple, to teach it to a couple people, and then maybe try to get a playthrough in down there with one of the curses to see, um, how we do and how it plays with multiple people. But so far as a solo game, I have to say, I'm, I'm having a great time with it. I'm really glad I invested in the game. I think it is perfect if you like, like I said, choose your own adventure style stuff. Um, and this is something that is definitely one of the better ones that I have played. Also, the cards are really cool. There's just so many different things that can happen to you while you're playing. Um, it's all just random. And that's what I think makes the game so exciting. It just feels like you're really out there exploring and adventuring and you really don't know what's going to be around the next corner. So Seventh Continent, if you didn't kickstart this one, hopefully you have a friend who has it and you can try it out because it's definitely one you, you don't want to miss this one. All right. And the last game we're actually going to talk about today is a game we're going to be doing a video for here later on this evening. 
and that is the Pursuit of Happiness community. This is a game that was published by Artipia Games and Stronghold Games. We've played the Pursuit of Happiness multiple times. Community is actually a small expansion, which adds in a few more cards to the base game. And then you also have a little community board. Uh, The Pursuit of Happiness, if you're not familiar with it, I've talked about it before in the podcast. It is basically a kind of like worker placement game where you're playing through the game of life. Um, Everybody's starting off in their teen years. Each round, you're going to be going from teen years to adulthood. Then you have multiple rounds in adulthood. Then you get to old age. You're trying to take on different projects, get a job, possibly find a spouse, You're going to be purchasing items or purchasing activities, which can make you happy, which could possibly lower your stress. Stress is kind of the name of the game because the higher your stress is towards the end of the game, when you get to some of those later rounds, when you're in old age, you're going to be incurring stress automatically. So you want to be able to control your stress during your teen and adulthood years as much as possible because the more stress track you have available to you at the end of the game, the more rounds you're going to be able to take. So um, yesterday when when Kim and I were playing, she was actually able to get a card which let her lower her stress down to a different color on the stress track, which essentially let her have one more turn over me, which let her win the game. I had accumulated some stress during those last couple of rounds and Once the new round hits and you move uh, to the next round marker and you have to accumulate stress, I just was dead. And so she basically got to play the last round by herself and she was able to get some additional victory points, which kind of definitely pushed her ahead in the game and gave her the win. But let's talk about the community track a little bit. Uh, The community track is quite interesting. I will say the base game of the Pursuit of Happiness is a lighter style, you know, is a lighter style worker placement game. Uh, Definitely not too difficult. I, I would probably say maybe along the lines of maybe like a Lords of Waterdeep or, you know, one of the lighter worker style placement games. I don't know if I'd use it as an introductory one, um, but you probably could get away with it. Community adds in a new track um, and you also get a new meeple to go along with that and a new deck of cards. One of the new things that's going to be in that track is popularity. Um, you're going to have a community track that you could place your meeple on. You can also place later on in the round other of your others of your hourglasses which are kind of like your workers in the game basically they're trying to simulate that what you're spending time on are your workers that's the hourglass um, figures that they're giving you to use during the game and you can put your worker on one of the cards and then after that you could place an hourglass on one of the other community cards those community cards will possibly have a cost for them when you engage with them then they will have an a cost at the end of the round based on three levels that you might want to interact with. You know, the cost increases based on level one, two, or three, but the rewards will also be better if you interact with, um, you know, the highest level on those cards. It could give you possibly more popularity. Uh, After you completely work through all of those community cards, you look to see where you're at on the popularity track And you actually get victory points based on what number you're on for the popularity. And then everybody goes down one on the popularity track because at the end of every round, you lose a little bit of popularity due to time going on. Uh, And then you're just trying to move that up during the game. And the one game we played with the community track, I really concentrated on those community cards. And I got, I was able to get my um, popularity up to like five. So each, at the end of each round, I'm getting like four additional victory points there for a couple of rounds. One round, I think I had five. And it definitely gave me a nice, 
a nice buffer lead over Kim when we were playing. The last game we had played, I really didn't concentrate on on them as much. And like I said, I think I had died a round before her, so she got that extra round on me. That's also definitely something you want to try to manage. You want to definitely try to manage your stress during the game. And if you can get one of the cards, and that's the... That's one of the tricky things with this game. Lowering your stress is fairly simple, but actually the stress meter is made up of different colors. Taking it down to a whole different color actually requires you to obtain a project card, I think it is. And I think it's only the project cards that have them. I don't think they're on any of the activities or item cards. The project cards could have a heart on there, which actually lets you jump down to the next color, but stay in the same track. So there's three different um, kind of like columns per color so if I was on the first section of one color and I got the heart I would move down to the lower I would move down to the next lower color but I would be on the first color there so it definitely gives you a lot of additional stress play play to play with um, in your games and it's if you don't have one of those heart cards through the games you're probably not going to make it past the first you're going to make it past the first round of old age but you definitely won't make it past the second it's almost impossible because the first round of old age adds 3 stress on there the second round adds 6 and i think the third one adds 9 if you could actually get a couple of hearts you might be able to make it past that 9 but um i don't think any of us have ever gotten multiple hearts there are very, very few project cards in the game that actually have a heart symbol on them. And once one of those cards comes out, whoever is the first player is probably going to jump all over that project, whether it gives them stress or not. Because one of the interesting things is you have a three kind of card limit in front of you where you can kind of have a job, a spouse, a project. Or you can maybe, what I did yesterday was not take a spouse and I had two projects I was working on. So you can kind of have three of those cards. You can't have multiple, you cannot have multiple jobs. You can have multiple spouses, but the minute you take a multiple spouse, you're taking a stress. And then at the beginning of each round, you're taking an additional stress because balancing two relationships is quite hard in life. So they're really trying to not, you know, not want you to do that. And it's something I have not tried, but I do need to try it. But um, I tried to forego the whole spouse thing and maybe just do some projects about halfway through the game, I decided to do this because I just didn't like the resources that the spouses that were coming up were giving me. Um, So I was like, screw it. Let's go for two projects because you can have multiple projects in front of you. Uh, You just can't go past that three card limit. And it actually worked. Uh, While I I mentioned Kim had won, it wasn't a complete blowout. I was actually able to keep up with her. Um, So that was quite an interesting different strategy that I had tried on that one. But um, the Pursuit of Happiness, if you like work or play some games, it's a nice light one community does add some nice things to the game it does it adds you know maybe about an extra 10 minutes per player it's not that bad it doesn't make the choices i wouldn't say it pushes it to be that much heavier of a game but i do think that extra scoring in that popularity track kind of gives you something extra to think about which actually you know kind of just rounds out the game nicely it was it's a it was the base game was good if not just a little bland, I would say. But I will say that community track kind of does add something that maybe the base game was just missing and it really makes it kind of enjoyable now. We're really getting into the game a little bit more than we were than we're just playing the base game. So I think that's about it. Let's jump over to a few of the things that I want to play. Um, one of the games that I picked up when I had picked up Noria a couple of weeks ago down at my friendly local game store is a game called Dungeon Alliance. Um, This is published by Quixotic Games, designed by Andrew Parks. 
to me, this is kind of like almost like maybe a cross between Clank and Mage Knight Dungeons or something. I don't know. It's you're putting together an alliance of four players of four, you know, dungeon adventurers. Each player is you're each going into the dungeon, trying to defeat monsters, get experience points, and you can even fight each other when you're down in the dungeon if you're playing the competitive style game. I guess you can play solo, cooperatively, or competitively. Of course, if I can get my wife to play this one, we will definitely play competitively because that is how she's going to want to play this game. But it just looks really interesting. It's a deck builder, so that's where it kind of reminds me of Clank. The whole dungeon component reminds me of Mage Knight Dungeons, which I've talked about before on the game, which is one of my you know, most favorite games that, you know, Kim and I have ever played. Um, and I think having that whole deck building component to it looks really interesting. I've watched a few videos on it already. I can't wait to actually get this one to the table. And hopefully we're going to get this one to the table this coming week and actually start learning it. We've been learning so many other games and trying to get so many of the things ready for video that I really haven't had a chance to sit down and spend the time to learn this one. But if I have to play this one solo, this one will probably be hitting my solo game stream and I will be playing this one probably a couple of times because I just think this game looks really cool. It looks really interesting. It seems to be getting some really good buzz on Board Game Geek and it seems to be getting some pretty good reviews as well. So I went and grabbed it and picked it up and um, just from reading the rules and watching a few videos, I am glad I did. So if you haven't tried Dungeon Alliance, give it a shot. If you have, let me know what you think. Head on over to our Board Game Geek um page and let us know what you think over in our guild which is number 2440 uh one of the other games that i kickstarted recently was a little game called unbroken this is a solo adventure style game for some reason i've been on a solo kick lately i think because um the wednesday stream that kim and i were normally going to try to do i think is going to turn into my solo game stream uh so i'm trying to get a bunch of solo games in here so i can start doing a solo game stream and maybe not do the same game every week like i have been with maybe like the seven continent but i Playing the Seventh Continent on my solo game stream is a way for me to play this because I really don't have much other time during the week to give it a play. So that's kind of why I've been playing that one lately. And I'm probably going to do one more stream of the Seventh Continent. So just a note. Um, I also have Fallout and a couple other solo games. I want to get to the table for the solo stream. But um, Unbroken looks to be really cool. Uh, it sounds like you were a band of adventurers going down into a dungeon. Everybody pretty much has died. But you, you are trying to not be you're trying to you know get unbroken you're trying to basically survive and get out of the dungeon it sounds like it uh it sounds really interesting uh i watched rado's run through of this one it looked really cool i backed it um seems to be getting some good ratings on bgg as well so i kind of can't wait for this one to get delivered and i will probably be doing some playthroughs of that but um other than that i think that's going to be it for this podcast i need to go set up for our stream tonight so we're going to call this one done all right everybody you can always send us some emails. Let me know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can also follow us um, or comment and talk with us over on Board Game Geek. We have a guild over there, guild number 2440. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop the G like I always say. On Facebook, just do a search for what I'm playing now. We would definitely appreciate you sharing our Twitch and YouTube channels, twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now youtube.com slash what I'm playing now. Please subscribe and share with your friends and let them know we are out there trying to produce some nice board game content for everybody to watch. Hopefully you're enjoying what we're doing, some of the feedback we're getting. It seems that people are liking the videos and that's something we're definitely trying to work more on and make them better with each production. So until next week, everybody, you know what to do. Go play some games and then let me know what you're playing now. Until next week, you have a great week gaming and we will talk to you later. Thanks for joining me. Bye-bye.